Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. Quite a bit went on in the world of sports last night, so let's get right down to it. Uh, The Cleveland Cavaliers completed the emasculation of the Toronto Raptors last night in a victory that surprised absolutely no one. I called this one from the start. Here's the thing. And, you know... People want to argue analytics uh, all the time, but the simple fact of the matter is is that Toronto was cruising that regular season, and the biggest issue that they had was a mentality standpoint because all they know how to do is just play regular season basketball. In the playoffs, there's a way you have to adapt your game to be a grittier team. You have to get dirty buckets. You have to be willing to sacrifice your body in order to get those results on the defensive end and the offensive end. And Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan are not built for the playoffs. They don't like getting physical players. That's It's clear because that. Because Dwayne Casey had to go to his bench and bench DeMar DeRozan in, in Game 3 just to get back in the game because those guys, C.J. Miles, they don't care. They're just happy to get the playing time. But that's how embarrassing it was. Like, Dwayne Casey had to save DeMar DeRozan uh, just uh, further embarrassment uh, for himself. And he he did him no favors last night. Again, not showing up in the first half and then getting himself tossed from the game on a weak flagrant two call. It was a weak one because he, he just slapped at his head. But it was a soft play because if you're going to stop the guy, wrap him up. He does a weak, uh, weak swipe at Jordan Clarkson and winds up clocking him in the head. It, you know, again, if you're if you're going to hit the guy, hit the guy. If you're going to actually play the game, wrap him up. It, I mean, you know, it, the less said about the Raptors, the better. I mean, to be perfectly frank, the uh, the money line that. Uh, Vegas gave him the Cavaliers to start the series at 185 was some of the easiest money you could ever make. I, I Again, I don't understand how people got so caught up in the analytics that uh, the Cavaliers were going to have a tremendous struggle against the Raptors. I think they got misled by the fact that they, the Pacers pushed them to 7. The Pacers pushed the Cavs to 7 because they were willing to get dirty and into the grind. The Cavs do not want to grind with teams. If you muck it up and you force them to work hard, the Cavs will wilt at certain points, even with as great as LeBron James is. People seem to miss that fact. Uh, Toronto 
is a finesse team through and through. Even more of a uh, finesse team than Cleveland. Because even uh, last night, Kevin Love realized that he could boss these guys around and got into the low block and, and, and beat them up. I mean, that's how embarrassing this series got. Uh, Toronto had basically no willpower, no... Uh, I, I It's just, you know... And I like Dwayne Casey, but sometimes being a nice guy doesn't do you any favors because you know at a certain point you might as well have just benched uh, your starting uh, uh, your starting five outside of Valachunas. Valachunas is the only guy who acquitted himself in that series, even though he missed a bunch of bunnies in Game One. He was the only guy who showed up in every game that series to make uh, positive contributions, even though uh, he just missed a ton of shots Game One. But outside of that, I, I mean, this was just absolutely yeah, embarrassing. The less said about Serge Ibaka, the better. Uh, you know, Cal Lowry, you know, last podcast I already said there was an APB out for him because he was a no-show. He showed up in Game 3 only because the Cavs let him because they uh, they focused the double team on DeMar DeRozan so Lowry literally had free reign to actually uh, do something on offense and yet still the best he could do was uh, get 26 points. You know, that's just not going to cut it if the other guy's being shut down. Between Lowry and DeRozan, they got equaled by LeBron himself. You know, that's just not going to get it done. And the simple fact of the matter is the Toronto Raptors have to blow their team up. Because unless you want to accept being mediocre and just, you know, be a top four, uh, four seed for the next two to three years... Fine, and just like sell tickets, that's your prerogative. But if you actually have uh, an incentive to win, you have to blow this team up. Because guess what? Boston's not going anywhere, and the Sixers aren't going anywhere. And those two teams are going to be the top two seeds from here on out. I mean, basically, you're going to be fighting for scraps with the likes of Milwaukee. And, you know, if the Wizards ever get their act together... Teams like that. But that's literally what the ceiling is for Toronto. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, so you might as well blow it up and figure out where you're going to ship DeRozan. Please do not ship any of these players to the Knicks. I will just say that as a proviso. We suffer enough as is with guys who can't perform when needed. Uh, but, uh, you know, outside of that, I, I think people are now overhyping the casket and saying, oh, they're playing their best basketball of the year. No, they're really not. It was just more about the lack of competition that they were dealing with that it gave them their confidence back. I, I still say that if they get into a series with uh, Boston or Philly, most likely Boston, they 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 probably end up uh, taking the, one of the first two games. But that middle game set where people think that they're going to roll, I actually see them struggling because I actually think some of the defensive tweaks will actually start getting to them. So uh, they're not out of the woods yet in terms of the East uh, Eastern Conference. It's just that the Toronto was even uh, more of a pushover than I originally stated they were. I, I knew that they would get rolled on. I didn't see a sweep coming. Uh, but, you know, it just goes to show you, again, that, you know, people may not like the idea but reseeding is absolutely necessary in the NBA because there are too many pretenders in the playoffs, and it's especially rampant in the Eastern Conference. There are way too many soft teams in the East 
that it needs to get shaken up because this is not watchable basketball. The Cavs were literally toying with the Raptors uh, right up until the uh, last five minutes of the uh, uh, second quarter, and then blew the uh, blew the doors off the game. And it it wasn't wasn't even a, a matchup at, at in the second half because uh, the Raptors at no point ever made a commitment to getting back in that game. They just accepted that they were going to get swept, and that was the end of it. There was no fight. There was no nothing. And you know. At the end of the day, you know what? Just make it a first-round matchup against a Western Conference team and have them get bounced that way. That's what you really needed to do at the at this stage, or at least to set it up where you have a little bit more differentiation uh, in terms of the matchups. Because again, this was just soft overall in terms of a playoff performance. And it's not unexpected. Like, people are acting surprised, and I don't understand why. If you were watching these teams and doing doing your homework, you would have seen that Toronto had a number of deficiencies that the Cavs were going to be able to exploit, and exploit them they did. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a lot of it's just mental makeup. Toronto just did not want to do the dirty work that Indiana was willing to do. And, you know, sometimes that's just the player makeup. It was like... You may not like a guy like Lance Stevenson, and he may be a pain in the ass, but guess what? The guy puts his work in, and that's exactly what you need to do when you're playing LeBron. You can't, you can't do a half-assed uh, double-team effort. You actually have to get up in his grill. You have to be able to disrupt him. Otherwise, he's going to do whatever he wants, which is exactly what happened in series. Every time uh, Toronto was doing a half-hearted attempt at a double-team, you know, he would just find the open man. And even on the man-on-man coverage, no, at no point did LeBron seem even remotely pestered the way he was by Lance Stevenson because he, Lance was putting in the effort that you have to do on the defensive end if you're covering LeBron. And even on uh, uh, Miles Turner, it's like there are other guys on Indiana willing to put in the work. Boston has those guys. Philly, I'm not as sold on uh, being able to do anything to LeBron defensively, just from what I've seen from the regular season in the playoffs. But Boston definitely has uh, the capabilities of giving Cleveland uh, a lot of trouble in a matchup. So I'm not uh, I'm not willing to go on the limb that people are saying that the Cavs are going to roll through the Eastern Conference Finals now. I, I think that, that bears... Uh, more witnessing as to uh, what goes on uh, as uh, the playoffs unfold. But, you know, again, this was what the Cavs needed to do. They needed to get through this series quickly just to get LeBron as much rest as humanly possible. But, again, this is just on Toronto not showing up at all for this series and being completely unprepared uh, for what was happening to them because it looked like they were going through deja vu and, you know, instead of years past where they actually put up a fight, they just said, no, we're, we're good, and uh, just kind of rolled over, which is utterly pathetic. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. Hey, Throwdown Nation. Are you at the bottom of your fantasy league wondering what is going on with your quarterback? Well, I think I've got a new show that may just fit the bill for you. The show is called Celebrity QB, featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks to get your burning questions answered, such as, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Can Aaron Rodgers actually play a full season on one healthy leg? 
And can Dak Prescott actually lead the Cowboys to a Super Bowl in spite of Jerry Jones? Coach Weiss and co-host Steve Strau have got you covered on all things quarterbacks. Listen now on Apple Podcasts or any major media platform. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. Meanwhile, in the other Eastern Conference uh, matchup, we have the 76ers who were down 0-3 to the Boston Celtics through their own stupidity because they should have won games 2 and 3, but for lack of concentration and just poor coaching decisions, the Sixers are down 0-3, which no NBA team has ever come back from. Uh, last night, uh, Boston, you could tell, uh, were phoning it in. They weren't working as hard for the best shot possible. They were taking good looks, but not great looks, uh, which uh, they had been doing uh, so far in the series. And uh, so they had the worst shooting performance of uh, the playoffs. And on top of that, they got whistled for 28 fouls. Now, again, sometimes with the NBA, you get a lot of hometown cooking, but this was a little bit much. Uh, the the ref, the refs definitely uh, seem to have an interest in extending this series. Uh, uh, although the NBA never likes uh, bringing that up, but they, I mean, it is what it is. After the Donaghy situation... Uh, there's always going to be instances where people are going to question why some teams are getting preferential treatment from the refs given the disparity of foul calls. And, uh, you know, it was uh, readily apparent that the uh, Celtics were going to be on the short end of the stick for much of the night, and that uh, uh, bore out to be the case. But, you know, outside of that, people are saying uh, that, uh, you know, this extends the series. I really don't see it that way because that was – Philly's uh, sw- uh, farewell song to their fans. I-, I think they were putting in additional effort. Uh, uh, Brett Brown, who has been rightly criticized for many of the decisions he's made uh, in this playoff series in particular, uh, you know, he went with TJ McConnell. That gave a little bit spark. Uh, so he, uh, using TJ uh, McConnell in a starting lineup with Ben Simmons, gave uh, Ben Simmons a little bit of relief from Herod having to carry the ball up uh, by having another point guard in there. Uh, McConnell uh, played well. It's just one of those where I think that's a temporary stopgap measure. I think Brad Stevens is going to figure out a way of countering that for Game 6, even with Shane Larkin's injury uh, depleting the backcourt for Boston and making it harder for them to play small ball with Rozier and Larkin. You know, at the end of the day, uh, Boston should be able to take care of business uh uh, in Game Five at home uh, with uh, the Boston crowd behind them, so I, I look for this series to be over. And it's a shame too because Joel Embiid has uh, shown glimpses of being the guy who can uh, truly give uh, the Cavaliers trouble. Uh, just because I, I I think he would absolutely wear Kevin Love out uh, and Tristan Thompson for that matter. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where they they threw away the ball. They were making the mistakes I was expecting them to make in a matchup against the Cavaliers. They're making it one round early, and Boston has made them pay every single time they've made a mistake. Uh, so I look for that trend to continue. Even though the Sixers uh, tighten up their ball play, I, I think on the road, it's going to be a lot harder to play that style of basketball without making mistakes. Uh, so... Uh, it's going to be an interesting one to watch, but I think the series uh, for the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be the Cavs versus the Celtics, uh, and I think that 
will happen with both teams getting a good amount of rest uh, just due to how they were able to finish off their opponent. So uh, there's that, and then you've got the ever-increasingly uh, likelihood that Golden State and Houston will face off against each other the way everyone envisioned it happening. Uh, both Golden State and uh, Houston went up 3-1 in their respective series against the Pelicans and the Jazz. Uh, you know, the Pelicans are still trying to run and gun with the Warriors. I don't get the strategy. It's not working. It will never work. It, it, when you're facing a superior shooting team, you don't want to give them more opportunities to shoot the ball. I don't understand why you're trying to do fast uh, fast break offense. Now, uh, Rajon Rondo will hit guys in transition to get an easy bucket. That's not what I'm complaining about. My, my complaint has to do with early shots uh, that are on the front end of the 24-second uh, uh, shot clock. So if you're shooting with more than uh, 10 seconds left on the clock against the Warriors, you're playing into their hands. You need to work the clock to your advantage. And I'm not saying heave up a desperation shot at the last minute, but you got to work the offense so you're not getting engaged uh, 14, 15 seconds out. You're getting engaged uh, with about 11, 12 seconds left on the clock, and that makes it easier once you start swinging the ball around. Uh, you're going to be under uh, six uh, seconds on the shot clock. That's how you get to the Warriors. You've got to limit the possessions but still get quality looks. The problem with these teams is they keep going for quality looks but leaving too much time on the clock. If you give the Warriors enough shot attempts, they're going to make you pay. I mean, the key is you got to uh, force them to turn the ball over and work the clock to your advantage. If you give them shoot, fewer shot opportunities... That's just keeping a good 10, 12 points off the books because of the fact that they're going to hit some three-pointers as well. You're, you're just not going to make it work uh, trying to go shot for shot, which is exactly what the Pelicans are, are trying to do. Uh, I just don't think that was the best uh, course of action against a team like Golden State. Moving on to baseball, uh, we have the Yankees and Red Sox series uh, up in the Bronx uh, this week, so that's going to be the hot ticket in town. But uh, just looking at it from a fantasy perspective, we got a ton of injuries to kind of go through. So uh, let's get right down to it. Obviously, uh, I talked about the Corey Seager news last uh, week. Uh, later on in the week, we had Johnny Cueto go down on the DL with elbow inflammation uh, he was getting a second opinion from Dr. James Andrews yesterday. Uh, no further word on that front yet, but that's never a good sign uh, when you actually have to go see James Andrews. Uh, I, I don't care what you say, but, you know, the extent of it is that, uh, you know, he's probably going to be out a couple of weeks, if not multiple months. Uh, so you're probably looking at where anywhere from, uh, six to eight weeks, maybe more. Uh, but, I mean, if it comes back later on uh, and he's getting later in the rehab and, he, and then it comes out that says that he he still has a UCL uh, sprain that, that, uh, and it's actually more of a partial tear because, you know, when it gets to sprains and tears, there's not a whole lot of uh, differentiation uh, depending on it. It just depends on how... Uh, it comes across on the uh, the MRIs, but you know it could very well be a season-ending injury for Cueto. 
when all said and done. I mean, even with him missing extended period of time, if he comes back in, say, uh, seven, eight weeks, uh, if you go out the furthest and you're waiting in July, expecting him to turn it around, and then all of a sudden he makes three starts and then has to shut it down again, that's the season. Uh, they're not going to ch- chance it again, especially with the way the Giants have been playing as of late. Uh, you know, I would be very, very uh, concerned if I'm a Johnny Cueto owner. Uh, I try to avoid that uh, that uh, train this year. Even though he's pitched well uh, to start the year, it, you know, I just had a bad f- feeling uh, uh, that uh, the injuries he had last year were going to persist into this year. Uh, uh, although the elbow is a new thing, so that's even more of a concern just because of how many innings he's thrown. Because uh, he's almost uh, thrown 2,000 innings, and he hasn't had an elbow issue yet. You know, that's usually kind of ends up being around the time where uh, you got things going on with the body. So, uh, Cueto's definitely a, a red flag issue to me. Uh, Clayton Kershaw went on the DL uh, with uh, bicep tendonitis. Uh, you know, at least it wasn't the back again with Kershaw. But yet still, uh, the injuries mounting up uh, for Kershaw, given the last couple of years, uh, that's something to keep an eye out for uh, as we progress uh, uh, during the season. So I would say, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you prioritize pitching over the bats, you're in, you're in for a tough spell without Kershaw, but... My, my my line of thinking is is that yes uh, I prefer getting bats early and pitching late later on in the year because to me premium pitching doesn't make a difference until late in the season when you got playoffs on the line uh, it's a little bit different with roto format I, I get it but even for roto format I still think you can do the tr- uh, moves for pitchers uh, later on in the year for trades the bats. You know, it's it's hard to get some of those premium bats. Uh, you know, if you miss the train early, it's it's the price to get them, acquire them, uh, goes up as the season goes along, not down. Uh, pitchers, you know, guys can start getting into a cold spell. You can, there's still a good chance you can get uh, uh, those guys uh, later on in the year. It's it's the hitters that are tougher to come by. So. Uh, you know, not much you can really do uh, for those guys, but you know it is what it is. Uh, you just have to kind of make do uh, with the Zach Godleys of the world, uh, and uh, and if you can get some guys off of waiver wires like Jarlin Garcia for the Marlins, like there are guys to plug in, but you're you're going to be scouting the waiver wires for for a while with uh, guys like Cueto and Kershaw going to be on on the mend. Uh, Jake, uh, Jacob DeGrom, uh, you know, the MRI came back uh, clean uh, after uh, he supposedly hyperextended his elbow swinging a bat. You know, I'll be honest, I, I, I'm still very <laughs> confused as to how he hyperextended his elbow swinging a bat. It, it, it's just, I really hadn't seen that happen uh, all that often in, uh, in baseball. I, I mean, I've heard of it, but I've never actually seen it live. Uh, in a game uh, uh, happen in that fashion. So, uh, kind of a head-scratcher. Uh, the Mets said he was going to be fine, but then they scratched him from uh, the start. his start yesterday and put him on DL uh, as a precaution. You know, 
my thing is with the Mets, anytime they say that they're doing it as a precaution, it means that it's probably worse uh, uh, than they're letting on. So, you know, I don't know how, but I, I think he might have actually hurt himself even more than uh, they want to say from the MRI. But, uh, you know, you got to keep those season ticket holders engaged for the, if you're the Mets, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I don't trust the Mets pitching staff to save their lives or anyone else's career, for that matter. So, uh, a couple other guys who got hurt this week. Uh, Dancy Swanson went on the DL, but he had been out for a couple of games anyway with uh, left wrist soreness. So, uh, he should be back next week. Tommy Pham uh, left, the, uh, left the game on Saturday, uh, the outfielder for the Cardinals. Uh, he had right groin tightness yet again. Uh, you know, he had that problem two weeks ago, and it came back again. So it's almost a guarantee he's going to be put on the DL. Uh, and with that, you know, he should be out. Uh, I mean, at least with the 10-game DL, uh, you know, it'll be a week at least. But it, it could it could have been the 15-day, the old 15-day DL rules uh, where you were guaranteed losing two weeks. But, uh it, you know, at least uh, the Cardinals were able to kind of uh, nip it in the bud of once and for all because uh, uh, him playing the last couple of games and then re-aggravating it, that's, it's almost always worse when you re-aggravate it after the fact. So, uh, in terms of, yeah, so, oh yeah, I've got a couple more guys. So, uh, Miguel Cabrera, hamstring strain. So, uh, the Tigers are going to be without their first baseman until uh, probably the end of next week. And uh, you also had uh, Shohei Otani miss his start. He should be fine, though, because uh, uh, he threw a bullpen session. So he should be on track to uh, pitch uh, uh, next, uh, well, this upcoming weekend. All right, so uh, getting right down to it, uh, in terms of guys who have just been red hot, Odubel Herrera, the outfielder for the Phillies, uh, you know, after not having a multi-home run game in the first uh, couple of years of his career, he's had his second um, multi-home run game in the span of 10 days, so uh, he's definitely a guy who's on the rise and uh, uh, drawing some more attention uh, to himself uh, in a good way, uh, so uh, that's a, a really a good uh, speculative play for a sell-high candidate. If I'm if I'm an Odell Herrera owner, I, I uh, which I am, but I, I would, I would even say like a, I'm not taking a low ball offer for him. Uh, certainly, I, I I wouldn't get too greedy, but I would say that he's definitely uh, played himself in this position where you can get uh, a starting uh, a second tier starting pitcher and a good uh, good bat in return for him that's struggling. So. Uh, that's definitely an opportunity where you can probably get uh, a pitcher from uh, round three and uh, and uh, also uh, a bat from uh, round four or five that you, and that may be struggling. There there are guys that are available uh, that are not putting up numbers. Now I'm not saying you're going to be getting the Stantons of the world or Goldschmidt's, uh, but there there are guys that have not necessarily gotten off to the starts that they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about uh, even the McCutcheons of the world that people thought were going to break out. There are guys available, and you can get a quality starter 
uh, to boot uh, for Herrera. So uh, that's something to consider, especially you've got uh, injuries in your starting pitcher staff, whether you had a Robbie Ray or Kershaw. Uh, with guys going down, that those are the kinds of players you want to sell high on uh, just to kind of cover yourself if you've got a bunch of injuries that you're trying to manage around. All right, so to cap off, uh, you know, I got to admit when I'm wrong, and I was certainly wrong on this one, uh, the Washington Capitals actually got the job done last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, you know, I didn't see this one happening. Even when the Capitals won Game 5, I really did not see it happening where the Pens could actually lose this series. I always figured that the Pens would find, uh, like, figure out a way to uh, get past Washington last night and then go on and win Game 7 in uh, D.C. That's That was always my expectation. I believe that's the expectation most hockey analysts had. Uh, but it's been a, kind of a wacky playoffs thus far. And the Caps, to their credit, were the better team last night. That wasn't a lucky win. That was, that was a well-earned victory because they peppered Matt Murray with shots all night long, and they had the faster legs. Uh, they were getting to the puck faster. Uh, they were winning the battles along the boards. I mean, the Penguins tr- really and truly only won about 10 minutes of that game. Uh, and it it also went into overtime. So that kind of shows you how slanted that uh, uh, contest really was between the two squads. And uh, Washington really did earn it. And Matt Murray was keeping the Penguins in it by being the best player on the ice for the Penguins. The Capitals had, uh, definitely had the fresher legs uh, throughout the game. And, you know, at the end of the day for Pittsburgh... Malkin never really was quite the same. Hornquist, uh, Patrick Hornquist really didn't bring the goods. Uh, you know, Broussard, Derek Broussard was a non-factor. I mean, even though he was on the checking line, he didn't really bring the energy. Uh, Washington's uh, three and four lines just outplayed Pittsburgh's three and four lines. You know, they just, they flat out did. Even with Wilson's uh, suspension, Washington's uh, back end lines outplayed Pittsburgh's. Uh, Pittsburgh's just did not get the contributions that they needed on the back end, and it put a lot of pressure on Crosby and Jake Gensel to put up numbers in the absence of Malkin uh, playing up to his usual level. So, uh, you know, credit to the Capitals. Uh, They finally got one over on Pittsburgh after four tries. Uh, no one really gave him a chance to, including me, so I'll admit that I was wrong. But at the end of the day, I still like Tampa over uh, Washington. I thought Tampa would have had a tough time getting past Pittsburgh. Uh, I think it's a, a much easier challenge uh, for them to deal with Washington because Tampa's lines match up better with Washington overall. Uh, and I think from a number of perspectives, uh, Tampa can give uh, Washington fits uh, on the defensive end uh, with uh, more balanced lines. And that's why I was a little bit surprised that Pittsburgh just did not get the production out of uh, the, the likes of Phil Kessel and Hornquist the way that I thought they would in that series. That's why I picked Pittsburgh easily in the landslide, but the, the, guy, <laughs> the role players did not show up in that series, so... Uh, credit to the Caps for playing good defense, but uh, I think that changes uh, come the series against uh, Tampa Bay. So uh, that's going to do it for now, uh, but uh, we're going to have a possibility of uh, some intrigue going on with the NBA games tonight. Uh, you also have uh, 
in the NHL. Uh, you got a Game 7 on tap between Winnipeg and Nashville that I did not get a chance to get into, but uh, credit to Nashville for going on the road and beating Winnipeg in Winnipeg yet again. Uh, this was the first time Winnipeg lost back-to-back home games since February, so uh, quite some time. Uh, Winnipeg's a tough out. Uh, I think Nashville takes that series, but I, I felt that series was going 7 Regardless, but man, oh man, Winnipeg showed me something in this series that if Nashville can get past this Winnipeg series, I think they can actually win the cup because that that Winnipeg team that that's a special team right there in terms of their physicality. Uh, so uh, that's an interesting one to see whoever makes it past. I think it should be the Stanley Cup favorite now that uh, the Pens are out of the way. The Pens had the balance and the veteran leadership and all the intangibles, but in terms of top-to-bottom skill set-wise, uh, Nashville and Winnipeg have shown me that they're the two top teams in the playoffs right now. So I'm very curious to see who's going to win this Game 7 because I, I think this might actually be the determining factor of the Stanley Cup. Uh, you never know uh, because injuries can always happen, but uh, given the style of play, I, I think these two have done quite well. And, of course, you can't discount Vegas, uh, who continues to roll on, uh, but... Uh, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, conclusion to the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, that's for sure. So that's all for now, everyone, and uh, have a good one. It's the most talked about position in all of sports, the quarterback. And now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought-after role on the field, Celebrity QB, featuring four-time Super Bowl champion coach Charlie Weiss. Unlike other football shows, you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks. Like, is this the year Tom Brady finally looks his age? Will dating Danica Patrick distract Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's dating Danica Patrick, Charlie. We're interested in that, you know? Well, I mean, Tommy's got Giselle. I'll I'll take Giselle, okay? (laughs) Is Dak Prescott good enough to win a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? Which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018? How about intellectually, Charlie, as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now? The game has changed, but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous. Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.